People of the world, it's the Brothers Talk family with your hosts, Rod, Scott, and Norm. Join us each Friday wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or on our website to hear us three black, unfiltered African-American men with no strings attached, giving voice to the most feared, most misunderstood, and most rarely heard from segment of the population on topics of interest to us for education, enlightenment, and entertainment. You can reach us with your comments, questions, and suggestions at The Brothers Talk on Twitter, The Brothers Talk on Instagram, and the Facebook group of the same name. And also follow us on Facebook. And if you want to share in more detail, hit us up at the email address, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our soon-to-launch YouTube channel, and now on with this week's show. Hey, Brothers Talk family, we're glad to be joining you once again in the car, the gym, the den, the kitchen, the barber, or the beauty shop, in the backyard, on the corner, or wherever you hold your relevant conversations to spur critical thinking and activism to support the Black community. And as always, welcome first-time listeners. We're glad you're joining our worldwide family, and we look forward to you helping us to spread the word about us promoting critical thought, enlightened conversations, and new business opportunities to empower and enrich our community. So I was thinking, why do I not get tired of sounding the alarm in the ongoing battle against COVID-19? Because normally I'm not one who's prone to repetition, but this time I'm making an exception because I truly believe that if even one person gets vaccinated or takes an extra precaution, and as a result manages to either save their own life or the lives of those around them, then it's all worth it. Plus, I like the idea of us three Black men in our audience family being in a David versus Goliath situation against stupidity. So I say again, don't any of you get discouraged out there, and let's keep up the good fight against ignorance, indifference, and hubris. And now to my brothers in the struggle for critical thinking, Scott and Noam. Right. You know, it's hard to follow that, man. That was beautiful. But, uh, you know, like Ross said about COVID, it's here. It's not going away. I mean, people can pretend and wish it away and pretend it's not there. I just had an incident where I had a relative come to town and um, it's not vaccinated. And um, I was like, hey, I would love to see you, but I can't let you come to my house or get in my car and you're not vaccinated and, and impact my family and my circle. I just can't do it. You know, it was, it was awkward. You know, of course they didn't, they were not happy about it and that old thing, but Hey, safety first. The other thing I wanted to talk about, wanted to say to, to my people, please, you know, people, if you're not woke, try to become woke and just take a look at what's going on in your, in your community. I, I posted someone on our page where this, this Asian woman in San Francisco had just got selected to the school board and they, they was interviewing her and she immediately started bashing black and brown people, but mostly black people saying that, you know, black kids don't do well because they don't have the support of their family and their parents and people are asking for her to resign. And I, I pointed that out because every time we turn around, some Asian is saying something negative about black people, but yet we're still supporting them with our dollars. No. Well, Scott, I agree with you 100%. You know, we have to concentrate on our community and building our community. And we really have to come to the realization that we are in this alone. We really have very few allies. And the ones we do aren't being vocal enough. But I want to say to our listeners, you know, we're here week after week trying to support the community and trying to get a growth understanding from our, our people 
of things we need to do and prioritize. And we're going to be here until it happens. Rod. So this week, we decided to take a deeper dive and look into the issue of reparations because, for one, we need to make sure that we keep that issue at the forefront because it is tantamount to everything else that's going on, whether it's the crime bill, whether it is health care, whether it is our economic status, whether it is access to capital and education. It really crosses all those boundaries. But the reason why it came up for me is I have a baby sister who is 15 years younger than me. And so we talk often, she's an attorney and she works for the census. And so we were talking about reparations and she asked the question that got me thinking. She said, is the problem that we call it reparations? And so why that got me to thinking was because I recognized that when it was reparations initially, it was not something that was directed at Black people. For a little quick history lesson, reparations first came about as something that was initially done in D.C. for white slave owners who were losing their property of slaves after the Civil War. And then fast forward, the next time you hear about reparations, because, you know, 40 acres and a mule never really materialized, but the next time you actually hear about reparations, is for the Jews after World War II, and then the Asians who were in the internment camps, and finally with the indigenous people, the natives who were given things like casinos. So it is interesting that reparations doesn't have any kind of a stigma attached to it, and there were really no problems with it until they started mentioning it in relationship to us as Black people, even though, as I said, we didn't get it the first time around. And obviously, we are due much more than any of those other groups because we've been the victims of bias and discrimination for the longest period of time, and it has impacted our entire communities. So that's why I think it's a good topic for us to raise up and talk about, because perhaps there is a need to examine how do we ensure that when we talk about reparations, that the conversation doesn't just end on, well, Black people want checks, when we know there's so many other things that we've been negatively impacted by, which is why CRT is ultimately the study of how we've been negatively impacted by racism in this country. You know, um, I, I think your sister made a good point, uh, Rod, uh, because reparation, the word is is, is really a, a, a trigger for people who uh, don't look like us. And it's not just the white community. Um, um, it's all non-Black people, I think. Even people that you mentioned, population groups of people who, who've gotten uh, reparation. Uh, for some reason, uh, people either think that we don't deserve, we don't deserve it, or they don't really actually think or believe the contributions that we made to this country that we claim that we made to the country, or they don't think that the contributions that we made was, was, was worthy. But either way, they have an issue with us uh, getting payback for what we did and for the suffering that, you know, that we went through. Uh, but I think that we have to start thinking a little differently strategy-wise. Um, okay, we can call it reparation, but the goal here is to get something. Like you said, right, it doesn't have to be a monetary value. 
is, is, is something. And what that thing is, is the most important thing once we define, define it, what we want. So we have to look at the big picture. Let's say we're going to get, all of us going to get brand new Cadillacs, red Cadillacs or whatever. Okay, so we're not going to call those call it reparation. Let's call it um, some type of subsidy. And people are okay with that. But if you call it reparation and you get that guy, like folks are gonna folks are gonna have a problem with it. You know, um, I have to disagree there. I don't I don't think it really matters what we call it. Anything specifically for black people, the majority of this country will be against. They've shown that time and time again. They constantly bring up affirmative action, even though we are not the the sole beneficiary or the chief beneficiary of, the, of that program, even though it was designated for for our community. So no matter what you call it, they're going to be against. What we have to do is define it exactly what we want, what reparations would look like. Then we have to systematically explain and pinpoint the 200 years of oppression, direct oppression, okayed by the government, that requires them to actually operate and pay us for our suffering. We have to be in control of this, and we're really not in control of this narrative. And I believe that's the problem. And so you see, we are caught kind of in a catch-22, because I think you both make excellent points. On the one side, let's think about it. John Conyers, the late John Conyers, the, the congressman from Michigan, had been trying to get Congress to fund a study of reparations ever since the late 80s. And here we are, almost 40 years later, still unable to get the funding for a study, not reparations itself, just to- they funded? Excuse and me, how they funded that study? They just barely, like I said, they haven't enacted it. They actually finally got around to bringing it up for a vote, but it hasn't come to the floor. Okay. And so, and so, so that's one side of it. As you said, anytime you mention reparations, but then to your point, Norm, as you said, there are, and Scott, you made the same point that what they've also started to do, the quote unquote powers that be, is finding a way now to pit other underrepresented groups against us by saying, well, if you give this to black people, then that's discriminating against Asians and that's discriminating against Hispanics and Latinx. And so there is this pushback, no matter what you call it, when it comes to, to getting something for us and so that's why I mentioned CRT, because at the end of the day, I think that is the real pushback, like all that other nonsense of the ignorant people who keep saying that CRT is something that it is not, is just a tool because the people who are really in the know, and I do mean the white power structure, they know exactly what CRT is. They know exactly what it would mean it, for there to be a systematic examination and study of what 403 years of discrimination, bias, and racism have done to us. And they know that if that study is done, there's going to be a dollar figure at the end of it. And that's what it seems to me that they're really doing their best to try to avoid. And, you know, and see, that's, I, I think both of you, you know, made really good points. And, and actually the point is that I'm trying, I want to make here is that that's what we should be pushing. That's what people ask the strategy 
the strategy for reparation, the people who are out there, the mouthpiece, who, who pieces who are getting the most attention, the you know the strategy just isn't isn't working. And and to me, that's what we need to focus on is exactly what Norm said. Let's define what reparation looked like for people. Well, can um, we actually uh, say, Scott, is there a strategy? Because I'm not aware of there being a strategy. Like I said, the only thing well, that, I've well, ever heard about was Conyers trying to get the study. Well, well, that's that's it. That was the strategy. But but I don't know if that. I don't think there's a strategy. You're right. But there needs to be a strategy. And part of that strategy needs to be people out front constantly talking about how we were disadvantaged for 200 years and still being disadvantaged and the advantages that other people have, have gotten that we've been denied and continue to be denied. And we don't have a, a, a mouthpiece out there constantly making those comparisons. Comparison. And to me, we say all that and that's how we can start getting people to chip away at reparation or whatever we want to call it. Now, now Rod, you mentioned something that, that kind of got my goat here. They have, they're having a problem bringing just the study in Congress to the floor. Where is the CBC in this? Where does this rank amongst our electorate in regards to representing our community and our people? And if there was ever an issue that they ought to all be united on, you would think that would be it. Because just like you said, Scott, there needs to be a mouthpiece out there. There needs to be a, a, a strategy that is put in place that constantly forces reparations to the forefront. And I don't think they need to, to allow the pushback whenever they can point so easily to the fact that so many other groups have gotten reparations and groups, as I said earlier, who have suffered and struggle a lot less than we have. That's why I think they ought to even use MAGA because you know, that's one of my one of my favorite tactics to do is to ask people, well, if you want to talk about make America great, when was America ever great for black people as a group? And I think that undercuts the whole notion of MAGA right there. Yeah. Nobody ever asked that question. Nobody, nobody, they let this guy get away with that kind of thing. And nobody ever said, we were saying it amongst ourselves. And you would hear a few people say every now and then, but nobody asked the people who were saying it. Okay, when was America great for black people? Uh, you know, uh, and, and nobody never says that. But with the reparation thing, I think, you know, there isn't a strategy, and maybe we should start talking about the strategy and getting out, get our listeners to to chime in and have a dialogue about, you know, what kind of approach we should have. Uh, how how should we address? Um, getting reparation out there on the forefront for, for the decision making. I believe we should use social media and just create our own lobby. We literally have to organize somehow and get a, at least a segment of our community on the same page regarding this and get something moving forward, especially holding our representatives in Washington, the CBC, accountable. Yeah, that's definitely one strategy to really think about because and it may be the only one that we have that can be immediate. Cause I think often far too often as we have come down on politicians before, especially these career politicians and those who are on the CBC side is that they get to the point 
where they seem to want to allow MAGA to be pushed forward because they don't want to be the ones who are actually guilty, if you will, of saying that, well, America wasn't great for us. And so like it's somehow unpatriotic to point out that America wasn't great for black people. America wasn't great for the Native Americans. I mean, you know, that in is the truth, but there seems to be an, an, an anathema to people wanting to tell the truth and say, like, look, the reason why there needs to be reparations is because of the horrors and the the terrors that 403 years have resulted in us having the lowest scores, the lowest outcomes on literally every important category. Well, not just that, uh, not just the 400 plus years, but also the system that's still in place and people are in denial that there is structural institutionalized racism that will put, will put in place mainly to uh, keep black folks at bay. That has to be addressed. People don't even want to address that. You know, that, you know, we're still living and people think that a lot of folks think that racism, when you talk to non-black people, that this is this isn't a racist country. You know, I work with a guy who told me that, oh, it's not racism here. And I'm like, oh, you have your head been in the sand? You know, but, you know, he's a white male. He doesn't experience that. He doesn't have the same kind of experiences I have on a daily basis. So there's no reason for him to think that there's racism. He doesn't think he's a racist, but he is you know, kind of thing. So I, I just think that we need to start it. Let, let's, uh, we, could, we could keep talking about it, but I mean, we could keep talking about a strategy. We need to start talking about a strategy. Yeah, and we also definitely have to organize and really hold people accountable. And, um, you know, we have, we have to be the change. We can't depend on them. And so there you have it. And so I think you've heard from us and now we want to hear from you because this isn't one of those situations where even like voting, you know, we, we constantly try to push the idea that, you know, we need to get our politicians to be more responsive. But on this issue of reparations, every black person in this country has a stake in reparations because this is something that would actually benefit you. And I certainly believe that in addition to things like low interest or no interest, home ownership loans, uh, forgiving all college debt and allowing the descendants of the enslaved to be able to go to college for free, making sure that we have Medicare for all. I think in addition to all those kinds of things and access to business capital and so forth, that there also ought to be a check. I really do believe that because I think at the end of the day, we're due. And so we want to hear from you. So you heard Scott and Norm provide the challenge. And so we want you to tell us what, how, weigh in on this issue of reparations and what you think it means and what you think we should be doing about it. And, and you have the means, you know, you have our Facebook page, you have our Twitter account, you have our Instagram, you have our email address. And so all of that, we want to hear from you because if we're really going to get this groundswell going, then we have to get off of our blessed assurance and make sure that we do something about it. Remember, this is not only for us, but it's for our progeny in the future. In our Black Business Spotlight from Black Enterprise, we want to introduce you to Clinicians of Color, which is a community of mental health professionals whose mission is to connect 
black and indigenous people of color mental health communities to services. Clinicians of Color was founded by Lisa Savage, who's a licensed clinical social worker, and Kim L. Knight five years ago. These two mental health professionals met on Facebook and immediately clicked. They realized that black and brown therapists were doing amazing things, but were often overlooked. So Lisa and Kim decided to create a platform to elevate black and brown therapists and provide them with support, training, and a welcoming community. Since its inception, Clinicians of Color has increased to a community of 20,000 members. They believe strongly in the power of community and engage in ongoing activities to cultivate the community. After the killing of George Floyd, it became amply evident that the Black communities needed mental health services, but accessing them was challenging. Many in these communities were unaware of the resources and sought to connect with therapists who represented their race and understood their cultural nuances. Clinicians of color heard the call and decided to create a mental health directory to help connect communities to therapists who look like them. Their objective was to make it easier for black and brown people to find a therapist. The directory has therapists representing almost every state with various specialties. To learn more about the directory, visit cliniciansofcolor.org. That's a wrap for another program. And God willing, we'll keep our focus on the issues that impact our community on the path to a better future. Don't forget, you can follow and communicate with us, sending your comments, questions, and show ideas to the Brothers Talk on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or email us, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. Until the next episode, as always, we sincerely appreciate your time and interest and rest assured that we'll never take it or you for granted. And remember, let's do better today because that's all we really have.